Happy Monday, my Liberty Kitty Cats. And before we get into today's episode, in which my guest will try to convince me and you to move to the free state of Florida, I want to tell you about another sponsor, and this ties right in because uh, my sponsor, the Expat Money Show, my friend Mikkel Thorup, he is trying to convince you to move outside of the United States. And actually, one step that a lot of people will make, uh, depending on when they are in the U.S., before they become an expat, they will move first to a low or no-tax state like Florida. There are a lot of reasons to do that, and you can learn so much more about this by subscribing and listening to the Expat Money Show. It is it's absolutely essential that you have a backup plan for yourself, for your family, that you have a second passport, that you have overseas investments, that you protect yourself from the shit hitting the fan here in the United States. So I want to encourage you to subscribe and listen to the Expat Money Show hosted by my friend Mikkel Thorup. And while you're at it, come on over, join the conversation in the Expat Money Forum, which I actually help moderate. You can find that over at expatmoneyforum.com. We need to empower people with not just the philosophical tools, but the inspiration to break free from the system. Welcome to the flagship Lions Olympic Podcast, your weekly dose of education, inspiration, and real-world application from the top minds in the liberty movement. If you want liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. All right, Kitty Cats, with me today, he is the co-host of Rothbard Radio, along with good friend of the show, Ryan McMakin. He is the assistant editor of the Mises Wire as well, over there at the Mises Institute. He is also the former deputy communications director for the House Financial Services Committee, and he is just full of Florida man energy. I am so thrilled to welcome Tho Bishop. Tho, are you ready to roar? I am. Let's do this. First things first, though, like what we talked about before the show, we've been exchanging emails for a while, uh, but I want to get to know you a little bit better before we dive into this thing, before you convince me to move over there to Florida. So uh, why don't you just give me a little bit of your background? I mean, you work for the House Financial Services Committee. How did, the, how did that come about? And how did this whole journey end up leading you to work over there at the Mises Institute? Uh, well, it's interesting. It actually started with Batman. Awesome. I love where this is going already. Okay. So, um, I mean, back <laughs> in the day, I, I, I used to love message boards. Like I, I think that was a, it was a golden age of online discussion, right? Because you had an avatar, you had a, you had a screen name, you didn't have the Facebook profile that brought everything in it. And so me, like I was someone that always was interested in debating politics and, and just debate in general. And so um, after Batman begins 2005, I got interested in the uh, kind of the, the message boards building up to the dark night. And there was a, a message board called superhero hype and they had a political form in there. And on it, this was during like the peak of the financial crisis. And uh, for the first time, like, I didn't have like, hot takes about the financial crisis because I never was interested in economics. I kind of thought, oh, well, there's experts that, that uh, concern themselves with this topic. You know, I, I was, I was you know, kind of a, a growing anti-war Republican, but I was still you know, kind of early on in the process. This Ron Paul guy seemed interesting. And so there's this one guy that just kept nailing reports before anyone else was doing it. And so I finally reached out to him and said, look, like, how do I get to know what you know? And you know, I learned after the fact, you know, he, he was an Austrian ANCAP. I never met the guy in person. His name was uh, Paradoxium. And uh, he, he sent me to uh, economic you're out there listening, Paradoxium. Yes, please reach out. <laughs> uh, it's changed my life. 
but he sent me to economics in one lesson. And then that kind of led me down the, the, the rabbit hole. And uh, I started writing about this Austrian stuff, got really big into um, and it started applying it to, you know, reading uh, uh, what Frank Showstack was writing and Bob Murphy and, and Karen DaCosta. And so I started blogging this and uh, Spencer Backus was a congressman from Birmingham. He was by no means a, a libertarian, but friendly to Ron Paul. And after the Tea Party took over in 2010, um, he had, he was now chairman of the financial services committee. And so I ended up having a meeting with him. I said, Hey, look, are you familiar with this Austrian economic stuff? They were calling all of this before anything else happened. And, uh, and so kind of, I, I did a little, little report kind of summarized all of the Mises.org stuff on the financial crisis. And then he hired me to Washington. So I went from being a college dropout working in a coffee shop in uh, back beach road here in Panama city uh, to my first week in D.C. Wednesday, we had Tim Geithner in for grilling, and then we had um, Ben Bernanke in on Thursday, and I got to meet Ron Paul himself. So uh, that's, that's what led me there, was just kind of consuming this content, writing it, and then uh, was able to, to land a gig, and you know, the, the rest is history. This is an important thing to discuss, actually, because I, this is something I just uh, discussed with Matt Kibbe, uh, recording an interview for his show, and uh, you know, about how it's important to be in the culture and be everywhere because you never know where you're going to find someone and where you're going to inspire them to look into things. Now you were just kind of, you know, messing around on a Batman forum, uh, you know, you know, thinking about what the next movie might be like, but suddenly you find yourself, you know, diving into Austrian economics just because someone on that forum was also into these topics. And that kind of led you down your pathway. And I think that's why it's so important for libertarians out there to not just go be libertarians everywhere, go be humans everywhere, go be people with interests everywhere and become valuable members of your communities uh, for very non-political reasons. But then when certain things come up, when there are topical things that people are talking about, even in those communities, you're the one with the answers. And now, because you weren't that pushy libertarian trying to push your politics on people, you were just a guy actually participating in the forum, providing value that way, people are going to listen to you. Because I'm sure if this guy was just on that Batman forum, just pushing his politics all day long, people would have been like, get out of here. What, what, what are you doing? Right, exactly, and, and I think that's that's when I try to you know communicate. We, we don't want to get stuck in like this this libertarian ghetto where like all the only thing that matters is you know getting pat on the back by people that always agree with us, right? Like you, you know, being able to spread you know, spread the message out there, trying to get other people interested, and uh, uh, you know, it definitely changed my life. And another another thing we can take from your story there, though, is that you know a lot of people m might look at what you're doing, uh, just just even what you're doing right now, working at the Mises Institute, uh, how you were able to work with the House Financial Services Committee, and think, well, I, I don't have a background, I can never do that, that kind of stuff. This kind of guy is doing, um, but you didn't either. You know, you like you said, you're a college dropout. You're just messing around, uh, you know, talking about Batman, and here you are. So the answer to anything you want to do, and this doesn't apply to just the political world. This applies to everything. Yes, you can. You can do. It. Um, it's just a matter of if you want to and if you if your passions bring you there. Uh, but anyone can do almost anything. I mean, not to sound like uh, your your third grade teacher here, but it really is true. And the 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 further that I grow in life, the further I can see that all these things I never thought I could do, I am doing, and I can do because I did them. And we're all humans. We're all capable of doing just about anything if we we apply ourselves to it. No, no, absolutely. And, and again, the thing is, once you have your moment, then make the most of it. Because I, I think a lot of people just. You know, we, we kind of get in our heads and, and we, we, you know, we, we assume that, oh, if someone, if, if this could be done, someone else has already done. It's like, no, that, that, that is the, the, the difficulty, the dangers of the efficient market hypothesis in, <laughs> in terms of uh, daily human life. Ignore yeah. it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Under, under that theory, I would have never needed to start Lions of Liberty because there would have already been the perfect libertarian podcast out there. Not that we're the perfect libertarian podcast. I like to think we're as close as you could possibly get. But, you know, when I started this podcast, I started it because it didn't exist because I was looking for, at the time, a place I could just like tune in every week and hear an interview with a libertarian about their story, about why they believe what they believe. It didn't exist. So I, I had two options whine about it not existing or just sit around and wait for it to exist or i guess i could have waited a month for tom woods to start his podcast but i didn't know that was going to happen at the time but but instead i just decided to you know do it do it myself so if there's if there's a need out there if there's a niche that you need to be filled that that needs to be filled in your own life consider the fact that you might be able to fill it yourself absolutely but it takes a lot of work, by the way. Don't just think you can do this overnight. Uh, it's harder than it looks, my friends. But uh, uh, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, though, this is actually how this conversation started. You were on Twitter uh, really hyping up the idea of moving to Florida and why Florida should be a uh, you know a, a base for libertarians or at least a place that people of this liberty mindset should be seriously looking at. And so I invited you on. I said, let's just, uh, let's just hash this out on the show live. So make your pitch, though. Why Florida? Why is this the place to be? Well, again, it's, it's interesting because the last few weeks, you've had other states kind of take our approach in terms of opening up, uh, you know, in, in space of all the all the criticism out there for the lockdowns and things like that. I'm glad that we're finally seeing Texas and Mississippi and some of these other states kind of follow uh, the, the lead that Governor DeSantis has taken on this issue. But you know, the great thing, though, is, is that you know, the the foundations of Florida, I think, are strong in a variety of ways that, you know, having DeSantis's leadership in that specific time highlighted but like one of the coolest things I think it's very easy to, to overlook is that, you know, if we understand, right, that, uh, you know, before you get taxation, you get the spending that comes beforehand, right? Mm-hmm. Florida actually has the lowest amount of spending per person in the country, which is pretty incredible when you consider the fact that we have a very, you know, we have, we have I think, the fifth oldest population in the state, which is very relevant to some of the comparisons on the COVID issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've been a purple state, you know, in terms of national elections. And so it's going to be easy to kind of see us as being kind of more moderate in those issues. But so our, our spending and our, our, our physical discipline, again, relative to the grand scheme of things, right? You know, it's, it's always got to be relative. There's plenty of things that I, I would cut if you could give me the authority in, in, uh, in Tallahassee. But, you know, we've been very strong in this issue. Uh, we also have a lot of our, our actors on both the, the state and um, local levels that have been very uh, pro- progressive on the, the cryptocurrency issue. In fact, I think it was the, the tax collector down in Seminole County that was the first county to accept cryptocurrency as a means of tax payment. Now, I, I don't suggest anyone actually do that, right? Hold, hold that, get rid of the dollars. But I think it was just a way of kind of showing that you have some people on the legal side of things trying to be proactive in terms of it. We still have a long way to go to match uh, Wyoming and what uh, Caitlin Long and some of the state legislators in that state have accomplished on it. Um, I'm trying to, to work on that here right now. Um, but I think that's, that's a good, good thing as well. And also our regulatory side of things is that, you know, we have, we had a very powerful Americans for Prosperity chapter here. Um, and so, again, it, it helped, you know, we've, we've done a lot of stuff on the direct primary care stuff in terms of health care. We've been reducing our licensing things, and all this sort of stuff, you know, all the boring regulatory side of things that I think do show when in terms of what can politics accomplish on the policy side of things. It's, it's easy to get black pilled when you look at the circus of D.C., but there is, you know, a lot of action. The, the differences, I think, in the, in the performance of certain states relative to others, I think, is a, is a subject that we don't give enough credit to. That's Ryan Macon, I think, is one of the best in really doing state by state comparisons, so that we can kind of try to think about the United States in terms of, you know, what you would expect from like different countries competing with each other. Um, and I think, again, you know, Florida has a lot of advantages in that. But we also have, I think, there's just there's a it's a it's a fascinating state where there's there's a lot of different cultures involved as well kind of all can, you know with this this string of florida man energy throughout right and if we're here for example i'm, I'm the panhandle 
uh, Panama City Beach. Um, used to be spring break capital of the world. You know, they, they've, they've cracked down a little bit. You know, there's, there's, there's still plenty of statism to fight here, both in the local and state level. How did they crack down on spring break exactly? They, so, so the problem is, is that you had a lot of bad actors uh, a few years ago. In the 90s, you had the rise of MTV stuff. A lot of things came down here. And then you had certain um, venues that were kind of grandfathered in that had immunity from some of the you know, that's, that's moderate forms of crowd control. And so you had a lot of really bad, um, you, know, you, had, you had crime issues, you had nor- noise ordinances, you, you had things that undermined the, the kind of the quality of life from a lot of the neighborhoods here. And so the response from it was kind of a, you know, there, there were, it was an issue that could have been dealt with delicately. But of course, you had a government that kind of nukes the whole thing. And so they banned alcohol on the beach in the, the uh, month of March in both Panama City Beach and uh, in the county, um, which yeah, it's, it's, it's a long issue with something I thought at the time, um, particularly because like one of the interesting things about Bay County is that, you know, if, if you're a server on the beach side here in Bay County, like you can make a really you can make a decent living. I mean, you're not going to become a millionaire um, unless you save and buy Bitcoin. Right. Um, but, you know, but it's a it's a really good sort of, you know, blue collar job here where I've got friends that you know, they work service industry um, great on tips. I've got your friends that have boats. I don't have a boat. I'm very jelly. I love when I go, go out with them. And so like, there's, you can make a really good living here. It's a low, low barrier of entry as well, which I think is great for our economy. Um, and so that was really terrified about that, what that would do with our service industry here. Luckily, we've um, kind of grown our, our uh, seasonal market here. So we have a lot of families that come in October, uh, uh, September. So it's kind of stretched it out, which kind of helped uh, make up for the economic impact in that. But so we got some issues. Um, but, the, but the culture here is, and, and particularly in the panhandle is interesting because it's, it's kind of a mix of like the best of like Southern culture, the little bit of sort of surfer vibe. And so like you have people here, like they, they, they get, they, they understand instinctually like sort of the, the don't tread on me sort of aspect to it with a little bit of kind of Jimmy Buffett sort of aesthetics with boomers, <laughs> um, you know, but it's, it's, it works there. Um, in central Florida, you have a lot more farm, farmland, Ocala in particular, a lot of, a lot of cattle and things like that. Orlando, you get the, the kind of the tourist sphere. Tampa, which is a wonderful area, got a lot of friends down there. You, got, you have a lot of um, kind of Cuban influence in that area. And then obviously Miami is kind of its own own neck of the woods entirely as well, with uh, a, a various demographics there. But again, so it's Florida. It's a very rich state in terms of different cultures. There's a, there's a fit for anyone, right? Like if, if you're looking for a big city, Miami is is now again. It's, they're trying to become the crypto hub of, of the United States. There's a lot of great stuff down there, and so I, I think there's a lot of of great. Uh, aspects within the our state government relative to the rest of the country with a lot of great little pockets um, that, that help. We also have a very strong communities here. Um, and for example, like you here in Bay County, you wouldn't think about it, but like we, I've got a whole network of people where I can make like hoppa jokes too. And like, they get it. Right. And I, I think that it's that social connection. I think, you know, being able to, to actually have in person, you know, some of the, the, the benefits of the Liberty social media sphere. Right. That, I think, is something that's going to be underappreciated at times because you have a really good, strong network of people and, and young professionals that you can connect with that share our values. I think that goes a long way. And so that's what I'm trying to build up here in Bay County in particular, my little section of Florida here in the Redneck Riviera, because the more we can attract talent here, I think I'm really excited about what we can accomplish, and what we can influence here in, in this particular community. Yeah, I certainly don't have any places uh, I can think of out here in Los Angeles that I can uh, roll in and make a make a Hans Hermann Hoppe joke and uh, <laughs> expect to expect anyone to even have a clue what I'm talking about. First of all, uh, let alone uh, give me a positive response. To the joke. <laughs> yeah, and, and and yeah, it's great because I didn't have a, like a large network out there that they think of the hardcore people, but like they're they, I, I can make a Rothbard joke with them, right? So there's there's layers here to the the sort of community we're able to build. 
Uh, and are you from this area originally? Is this where you've lived your whole life? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, born and raised. And my, my wife is as well. So we got a lot of roots here. Gotcha. Gotcha. So now you're trying to trying to suck the rest of us, trying to suck all the libertarians uh, down there into Florida. And I and this is but ultimately, this is a strategy. It's actually I, what I think is the only strategy that we have going forward, because it, in many ways, I, I'm ex- extremely blackpilled when it comes to national politics. Uh, I essentially feel there is no hope there whatsoever. Wonderful if we can get someone with remotely libertarian views out there on any kind of debate stage. I'm all for it. If we can make it happen, make it happen. That's awesome. But it's not really where the hope lies. Uh, at least for me, I, I think the only hope we really have is finding ways we can create communities for ourselves, communities of like-minded people, communities of support. And in many ways, uh, we're forming those communities online. But for the rest of our lives, for our actual day-to-day lives, uh, the only place to form those communities is going to be in person by physically moving to places where there are more like-minded people and where you can actually develop a network of support to rely on. And uh, in many ways, that was kind of the, the um, well, there's also a political aspect too, but that was basically the impetus behind the Free State Project, finding a place that all the libertarians can move to, concentrate ourselves, support each other, and then also make some political headway at the same time. Um, not to make a comparison, but let's make a comparison. How, how would you compare the state of things in Florida other than the weather? Because I'll be honest, that's what keeps me from moving to New Hampshire. Right. Um, exactly. I don't want to be cold. I li- I grew up in the Northeast. I'm allowed to say this because I spent 20 something years being cold. I don't want to be cold anymore, so I'm not going to do it. So don't bother, guys. But for everybody else out there that isn't a, a wuss like me and is, is willing to be cold or hot or whatever they want, whatever the temperature may be, like what what advantages do you see just from the culture and the climate, not the not the um, the weather climate, but the political climate? Do you see in Florida over a place like New Hampshire? And also, I mean, New Hampshire's made a lot of great gains in this past election cycle. I, I think that's worth noting. I mean, now I think the the uh, Republican majority leader is a free stater. Um, and that's that's where like an organization like Yale that I mean, they had they had I think they, they had more more victories in New Hampshire than I think any other state. The other th- great thing about New Hampshire is that their state legislator, it, they have one of the largest state legislatures in spite of the size of the state. And again, this goes to Ryan McMagan and um, actually uh, Dr. Mark Thornton have done really interesting work on like how uh, uh, constituency size. And the more uh, a representation you have per constituency, like you have can have better results in terms of government, which I think is all very interesting. So which is, New Hampshire, which is really like not instinctual for what a lot of libertarians might think. A lot of right. libertarians might think, what I don't want more. I don't want a bigger legislature. I don't want more politicians. But there is a pretty strong argument that the more the closer those um, constituents or con- the closer those politicians are connected to their constituents, uh, I guess, kind of the, the more they have to actually be held accountable, the more they can't just kind of legislate from from afar. Exactly. And so that creates also sorts of interesting opportunities. And, um, and again, it like, because like prior to this, like you had like New Hampshire was trying to push things on like getting um, uh, a new income tax like put in there. And it's like, you know, so when I was, I was watching some of those headlines play out last year, so I was like, man, like this, the, the Free State Project, you know, has got even worse than I, I, I thought. Because I, I didn't want to go up there because of the same reason you had with weather. And so I was getting a little disappointed because I like the idea of it. Fine. Right. So again, maybe, maybe the political situation in New Hampshire is, is improving in that regard. And, and maybe you have a more radical, um, state government there that could that could provide some some unique advantages there. Here in think in Florida, it's it's not that we have like this massive wave of like ideological libertarians. Like I, I don't think like Ron DeSantis, for example, goes home and reads Rothbard. I don't um, think so. But but what what you have is for one like again this is going to be kind of kind of might be a little bit boring, but like Florida is interesting because we have term limits uh, in our state legislature, which creates a lot of a quick turnaround in terms of how long you can you can stay 
within the legislature, which I, I think it's I think I think one of the interesting topics that doesn't get enough discussion is that you know it's easy to compare like California to, to Texas or New York to Florida. But I think like Florida right now is much better governed than Texas. And so if you get like a red state, red state comparison, and it's because I think twofold. One is again, I, Rick Scott, I, I was not a particular fan of, but when he became governor in 2010, he was very much like an outsider. He was like proto Trump, which I think is kind of gets, gets lost a little bit because he was a, he was a billionaire, kind of create his own own industry around him. He didn't even like was really that tightly wound with the Republican Party of Florida, which is kind of interesting. And so what it, what it brings is a little bit of outsider sort of perspective. You have a lot more merit based uh, employment for some of those decision-making positions. And so I, I think that has led, so it is, it, the more things are, are led by something that resembles merit over purely sort of uh, long-standing favors within the political system, I think that creates the opportunity for better outcomes. Um, whereas like Texas, every single governor besides George W. Bush previously held the position of being a statewide office. Um, every lieutenant governor, which is actually a very powerful position within kind of the weird Texas government there, came from the land commissioner job, which is currently uh, operated by an heir of the Bush dynasty, which kind of shows you how things are over there. They're, uh, still, anyway, they're still around there, huh? Yeah, they're, they're still kicking around. Like he, he, he's, he, he's uh, I, I think that he was much more adamant you know, publicly, at least pro-Trump than he was uh, a Jeb, which at least he, he kind of gets that side of things a little bit more, uh, more op- opportunistic in that regard. Um, and so again, I, it, and, and then you have the DeSantis come along and like in DeSantis, what I, I think would re- really stands out with his leadership and, and contrast like someone like, like Christy Nome is that for one, like it's a lot easier to open, to keep like a state like South, South Dakota open, not, not to do anything to take away from what that was. Cause like she sucked, you know, she was the one like Island of Liberty for a very long time. And that I think made it easier for DeSantis to do what he did. But like this, uh, South Dakota, I think is a population of less than a million people. So it's smaller than some of the cities in Florida. And also, again, doesn't have that retiree population, which, you know, I have a great aunt down in Miami. She's 95 years old. She hates taxes. Great. But like, she's also very concerned about like, she's particularly hypersensitive to the COVID situation, which I sure. understand. And, and so like, what, what, what's made this, what made DeSantis, I think, so unique was that instead of simply saying we're opening up, he, he really built like an intellectual foundation for those arguments beyond simply a pure liberty perspective, which again, that should have been enough, but and, and, and so it's kind of the, the great Dar- Barrington search, uh, situation that he had over the AIER, where like, it created this intellectual foundation. And I think this is important because, particularly as someone who I think has higher political ambitions, is that I, I think DeSantis became really red-pilled on just how bad the policy ex- uh, you know, ex- expert class in Washington really is. And I think that made him a lot more radical in the way he handled this entire situation. And I think that projects very favorably to his policies going forward. Because I think that's I, I've become a, a, a bigger fan of democracy, for example, this past year, which might be now my most controversial take in uh, certain libertarian circles, precisely because like, it's the non-democratic actors in Washington that are the most dangerous, I think, to liberty. And, and that, that expert class is a big part of it. And so I think there's this now this, this sense of Florida where we're not simply taking what Washington experts tell us and then trying to create a statewide plan like we now kind of see because these people are full of crap. And we have to do our own thing. And so, again, I think that lends itself to a, liber- to a, a legislative environment that, again, there's plenty of things we do wrong. 2018, we passed a, a horrible gun bill. That, that's one of the areas where we're trying to focus on right now. Um, but, again, I, it, 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 I think, makes us relative to other states within, you know, the, the, the current standing union um, better. And, and, and I think that creates some, some interesting bulwarks to 
future uh, transgressions upon our liberty. Yeah, I mean, from a lot of libertarians, they might hear what you say, and instead of responding to your thoughts about what DeSantis has been doing in regards to responding to lockdowns or what have you, they might jump in and say, well, I bet he sucks on marijuana, right. or I, I bet he's terrible on, on this this issue or that issue. Right. But I think this this really speaks to the larger conversation here about about political strategy and what people of this uh, the libertarian or pro liberty ilk uh, might might want to be looking at because we I think we get into trouble when we try to start applying our libertarian purity test. If you want to apply them on libertarian podcasts and debates that I might host, I'm cool with that. That's fun. That's why we do this stuff. That's why we have these conversations. But if you want to apply them equally to populist politics, you're not going to have anywhere to go ultimately, except for the libertarian party. And we know the problems there. If we, we want to actually get something done. And, and that's what I, th- I think again, Rothbard is, uh, is like, you know, I think the, the most brilliant American scholar perhaps of all time, because I, what's great about Rothbard, what really makes him unique. And I, I think this is an aspect of him that is so often overlooked is that obviously he's the, he's the, the intellectual father of anarcho-capitalism, right? And he, he was an anarcho-capitalist because he hated the state. And like that, that tone so saturates so much of his work. And I think there's a lot of people that are attracted to his, his radical anti-state nature. And, and yet what, what really makes him great is that in spite of this intense loathing of the state and the, the, the evils of the American empire and all that baked in, he did not simply stop his political analysis with politics bad, government bad, that's all you need. Instead, he so hated the state that he got serious about what did it mean to have political victories against the state. So he, was, he wasn't anti-politics at all. And I mean, in, both in terms of his, his public analysis and all of his personal writings and things like that, I mean, he was a political junkie. Like he loved it. And, and so like, and I, I think that's an issue that you have a lot of people that you know, they, they hate the state and they think that's enough. And so they apply their own values on it so that anybody that gets interested in the poll or tries to, tries to treat politics as anything, but an, kind of a, an ultimate taboo, you know, a sign of, 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 you know, dirtiness, which again, I, I understand all of that, but it, it undermines what actually comes about because you, know, you Politics doesn't go away simply because you reach really, really hard that you want it to. Like, you have to engage on how do we wind this thing back? And, and I, again, that's why I think Rothbard's political strategy, which, again, was, was, was you know, he, he, he spanned the gambit, right? Yeah. He tried to make alliances with anyone he thought was more open to his, his message opposed, you know, for, for peace and, and pro-liberty. And, again, that's, that's what I think, think is so, so engaging. And that's what I've been trying to do is bring up, particularly in the, kind of this unique moment we're, we're living in. Well, we have 50-plus million you know, boomer Republicans that are absolutely convinced of the illegitimacy of the Biden administration. Like, this, is, this is such a unique opportunity in American history that I, I think Rothbard's you know, strategy toward the right in particular is more powerful, more unique, and, and more timely now than it has ever been before. So that's been, I have, I've been create, creating some, a little bit of uh, a Twitter content on that, which is, uh, I had some fun back and forth with. Yeah, I mean, and many will even just take what you just said right there about you know uh maga people who are you know don't see the legitimacy of the Biden administration as an opportunity and they'll be horrified by that statement they'll say what right. you think we need to cater to to these maga people cater to the trump people they're lost and that is just the worst possible attitude to take cuz if you're if you're deciding if you're making you're basically becoming the left then you're becoming Hillary Clinton you're becoming the people the kind of people that say these are deplorables they're lost they're nothing to us you're depersoning them by saying that right. you really especially as libertarians we can't really see anybody as lost yeah a lot of people on the left might feel lost and but even them at some point if there's an opportunity that presents itself for them to become very anti-state on one issue that's an opportunity we need to take too but at this point at this juncture in time there is a huge opportunity there with people who see 
an illegitimacy. And it doesn't matter if we agree that the, the election was legitimate or not. But the fact is, there's this large segment of people here, here that do. So how can we take that? And without necessarily taking even a position on the election per se, right. how can we use that little window uh, to open the door to them and say, well, here's why you need to listen to us. Here's why you need to learn um, you know, what the state really is and why, whether or not this election particularly is legitimate or not, the whole thing is illegitimate. And maybe we, maybe we can show those people a little bit of, of why that is. Right. And it's interesting because I, I think that, you know, kind of the core of Austrian economics, and obviously a lot of political libertarians, a lot, a lot of anarchists, et cetera, that, that are fans of Austrian school, which is fantastic, wonderful. But the core of Austrian economics is the understanding that value is subjective, right? It, it, is, it is not within the intangible properties of the unit itself, but the way that other people see it. Right. And again, this applies to politics as well as it does, you know, any other good out there. And so if you have a po political you know, figure, like even it doesn't matter how, or, you know, trying to 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 make politics simply about your own personal views on a, a an item or or a, or a figure. That's always less important than the reaction that you get from the community that you're trying to win over. I mean, po politics is about persuasion and coalition building more than it is about your own individual viewpoints on this. And that's I, you know, I, I, there's, a, there's a concept that I've been uh, used on Twitter a bit. You know, it's, it, a lot of libertarians suffer from in the meme out there. Libertarians are autistic. Well, it, it is a form of political autism. The same way like Mises talks about the autistic economy, where like you're a single individual on an island. The same sort of thing applies here in this, pol this, this political view, where like if it, if it doesn't pass my purity test, then it's not useful. And again, I, Rothbard certainly rejected that. And again, I, I, like when, when Mises talks about, okay, well, like on a marketplace, the, the, the items that are going to sell the most goods are going to be the ones that cater to the masses. Um, and you know, Rothbard, or the, the, the phrase that Mises used in anti-capitalist mentality is, is one of my favorites. He you know, uh, talks about trashy literature and says, like, yeah, sure, like you're going to get detective novels from the semi-barbarians among us, but it doesn't, doesn't stop great things from being produced. Well, the problem is, like, in a democracy, you, it does happen. You, you only get one product, right? And so that product has to cater to the masses. And so that's where, like, you know, that's where libertarians, I think, so often fail in politics is because they want to they use politics as an outlet to express their own individual values without trying to understand how do you get enough sort of public support within a democratic system um, to get that act, you know, to, to get that acted upon. And, and again, you don't need perfect allies for all of these issues. And DeSantis is not a perfect ally, but his election, that 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 single election, three hundred uh, thirty two thousand votes in 2018. Has the, is the biggest determining factor on how much liberty I have in my day-to-day -day life right now. And I, I don't think it's smart for anyone to just, just, under, just dismiss the significance of that. And, and again, I, this is the good thing, though. I think there's a lot. I, I prefer, like, I'm someone that I, I like to see a lot of debate and, and, and discussion and, and divides even in the libertarian movement because I, I think there's a mistake where we try to, like, homogenize liberty. Like, and and this, this was really big like, after, I think, the Ron Paul thing, right? You had people, you had certain organizations that held very large events on trying to separate the libertarian movement away from everything else. Mm -hmm. And I think certain people, like they, they, they long for the days, right? Where you could have like left libertarians and right libertarians kind of unified and, and meet at a conference in DC. And, and it's, it's, you know, I, I don't think that's the way, way it works. I, I think societies are built on values that are beyond simply kind of a, a thin view of libertarianism. I think there's cultural dynamics there that are incompatible. And there's nothing wrong with that. You want to have a variety of options out there. And, and so that's, that's, and, and so I, I think there's, we've had a lot more productive dialogue on what it actually means to achieve liberty within our times, given the divisions, 
than I, than I, I think we perhaps had in some, some of the previous years where we were kind of focused on a single campaign or some sort of unifying banner. Um, yeah, I, I think competition provides a lot of, of good uh, of results, uh, regardless of the market or politics. Sure. I mean, we didn't get to the point we're at today where we have essentially an ex- extremely progressive government, extremely progressive culture, extremely progressive political system. We didn't get that w- to this point because progressives went off and formed the progressive party where they all stayed and talked about progressive things and said, here's where all the progressives should go. No, they went everywhere to the point that you know their Democratic Party is certainly a progressive party. The Republican Party is certainly a progressive party. Right. Elements of the Libertarian Party could be <laughs> argued to be a progressive party. So, and it's obviously all through the culture. Um, so it's, it's really was a a full full thronged approach uh, on every level. Um, and I think libertarians need to have the same idea. We don't need to be might be splintering in different areas, but we don't need to splinter into one area. We need to splinter into every possible area. Um, this is dovetails nicely into the, the debates that been going on specifically here on Lions of Liberty, where we had Dave Smith and Eric Brakey debating uh, strategy wise. And I, I've my thing with that debate is whenever I'm listening to one of them, that's who I think is right in the moment because I think they both make very strong arguments for their positions. Um, but ultimately, I come down on the side of do whatever you're going to be passionate about and do whatever you're going to be most effective at because if you're going to be passionate and effective about going to Republican meetings and working your way through the party and helping get people elected there and you can do that and stomach that, well, do that because you're going to be more effective there. But if doing that is going to make you sick to your stomach, if right. putting on a suit and going to a meeting and doing this and that is you're, if you're going to hate your life, please don't do that. Maybe right. you should go to the Libertarian meeting right. and, and help the Mises Caucus if, if, if that's what you want to do. So that's kind of my my thought. But what's what are your thoughts on the actual strategy debate uh, about just how to accomplish things politically, uh, whether it's through the Republican Party or whether it is trying to build up some kind of third third leg here of the Libertarian Party and at least trying to get a a strong Libertarian voice out there that we're probably not going to get at the head of the Republican Party. Well, I, so so I, I am the, the vice chairman of my Republican Party here in Bay County, which I think uh, shows where where my I stand on that. Um, my. And again, I, you know, whatever you got, you know, ultimately, whatever really motivates you is, is what you should pursue. I, I, I perhaps I think one of the differences I have with with, with Eric Brakey is, which is a subtle one, but I think kind of goes to why I'm a little bit more punchy online about this issue is that for one, like, I, I don't I don't think the GOP is the answer for all the libertarians. I, if the, the, the loser brigade out there, yes, as they're as they're dubbed and, and some of those, those leftists that like to argue with Dave Smith and make fun of Dave Smith and, and attack like the, the, I think the, the Mises caucus people, which I think the, the, the core, the best part of libertarian party you know, movement. Right. I, I, I think those people are I, you know, I encourage them to join the Democratic Party. I, I you know, I, or I, I think that's fine. I, I, I very much support a, a two prong approach here. My issue is I, I think the LP itself is just a, a fundamentally useless organization. I, I think third party politics with the way that the system ha- we have is, is a strategically bad approach, period, because we have a two party system like that, that, that's the go- structure of the government that we have. Um, now, there are changes that could be had that would change that. But at that point, like why if, if you're going to push for like one, ma- because and, and you see this, I think, within some LP circles is that they make the issue the duopoly mm-hmm. as if that's the core problem of the American government. It's like, no, like the, the Main core of the American problem with the American government is that we are an empire. You know, we, we have a centralized authority we, we, uh, uh, full of people that, you know, it's, it's unelected bureaucrats, it's professional political class in D.C. that have far more impact than the average few of your average American. That is the problem. And so if you're going to really take a mace of bat at the current status quo, like the problem's not two parties. We could have six parties if, right. if it, and if it has the same culture that leads to the same yeah. things, then what and, does it matter? 
Yeah. And again, and there's plenty of arguments for like parliamentary systems. The way Sure, fine. Great. But again, like, it's no easier to change what we have now to a parliamentary system than it is like they have secession or things like that. Um, and so again, I, I think what the problem I have with the LP as a strategy is that, you know, for example, like Dave Smith has done more for the LP than the LP has ever. And I think will ever do for Dave Smith. I think that's clear. <laughs> yeah. Well, when he goes on Joe Rogan, when, when you have this entire network now, particularly of alternate you know, things, then, you know, it is a massive win for liberty that, that, that those Ron Paul movements that I think we all aspire to on the debate stage when Ron Paul was a Republican. You, you get that every time you get a Michael Malice or you get a Dave Smith giving uncompromising intellectual fodder to the audience of Joe Rogan or Tim Pool and all that. Right. Like that, that's already happening. You don't need a party for that. This speaks right back to what we were discussing earlier, how you learned about libertarian ideas through a Batman forum, because right. forget forget part of the problem, which does very well. It's, it's probably one of the hot, most listened to niche libertarian podcasts. But Dave Smith reaches a quarter million people a week on Legion of Skanks. Right. And the fact that he's a successful comedian, not a successful libertarian who happens to do comedy, right. he is a successful comedian. Uh, that gets him in front of so many more people each and every week, gets him on Joe Rogan. And when people end up liking his comedy and liking him because of that, now they're more open to hearing what his ide- other ideas are. The other way around, it, do- it doesn't work the other way around. And the same, with, same thing is true with Tom Woods. I mean, Tom Woods, I, you know, I know was, was a Rothbarding kind of, er, er, you know, early on in his, his career, but it was his work with, with uh, fascinating work on, in the Catholic Church and the, the history there. His work as a historian that I think helped pave the way for him having this, a much larger platform to introduce these ideas. Um, you know, this is all, this is, this is exactly, this is the most powerful thing out there. And, and the fact that you're now having people like Rob Schneider and, and some of these figures out there is very exciting, right? And I, I think that's exactly the sort of approach where, again, you don't need a party for that. Like, again, I, I, don't, I don't think the party structure helps that. These, the, the party structure is helped by these, these sort of, the, 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 the professional career and the, and the reach of someone like Dave Smith. And so that's why, yeah, I, I think Dave Smith's right on just about every single issue out there. There's not many areas where, where there, I, I can think of any sort of disagreement. It's just that you know, I, I, I question the, that the, the party itself as, a, as a, a positive force out there, and particularly when you consider the fact that in you know, a lot of these localized campaigns that I know the Mises Caucus, again, the, 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 beauty, the beauty of the Mises Caucus, which is the strength of the LP, is the fact that it understands the importance of local action. It's not trying, you know, they, they understand the LP shouldn't try to act like a major party because it's not one. And so a lot of focus on the local issues on the, you know, decriminalization and other aspects, all that's great. What does the party infrastructure actually help there? The Mises Caucus by itself does more work than the party does in these areas. And so that, that's kind of where it's my, my view is a little bit perhaps uh, stronger and, and perhaps uh, less tolerant than my, <laughs> perhaps than, than some of the other, um, someone like Eric Brake who does a great job of, of reflecting the gains being made on the GOP. All right, kiddies, I got to take a quick time out to tell you about a great friend, a great patron, a great supporter of the show, our man Zach over at Lauren Zotti Italy. And our friends at Lauren Zotti Italy, they're not just great libertarians. They are great businessmen. They're great people to support, and they do a fantastic job getting you fine Italian premium coffee blends at affordable prices in these nice little tins they ship right to your house. 
And one thing I really love about our friends at Lorenzotti Italy is that they are not just you know great coffee connoisseurs. They don't just send you coffee to your house. They also help others who are trying to start their own businesses, their own coffee shops. They help them acquire equipment, uh, procure financing, all of what it takes to start a business in the coffee industry. These guys are there to help you. So whether you're a connoisseur of fine copies or you're looking to get into the coffee industry, you got to check out our friends at Lorenzotti Italy. Find them over at Lorenzotti coffee and use discount code lions for 10% off your order. I saw you. I'm not sure exactly where I saw this Twitter, Facebook, you know, somewhere out there, but you made a pretty good, you laid out a pretty good situation of how a third party like the Libertarian Party could actually be effective. And it's not by trying to run a candidate everywhere and become the next Republican or Democratic Party, but by actually becoming, you know, by by basically, well, I'll let you lay it out, but essentially by becoming, uh, you know, I'll, let, I'll just let you take it from there. I, why, why should I sum up your position when you can detail it much better than I can? <laughs> I, th- I think one of the things that's actually really interesting in American politics is um, uh, the, the Conservative Party of New York, which was something that William H. Buckley um, started. Again, I've got a lot of issues with Buckley, but like there's, there's some, some good things there, too. And, and so what was interesting is that this is kind of the time where like the GOP was changing philosophically. That's kind of the, the Goldwater era and things like that. And so the GOP was was becoming um, the conservative party that, at least rhetorically, that, you know, Ronald Reagan, whatever, set the stage for. And so what, what the conservative party do, did, its operating philosophy was basically it understood that its role was essentially playing spoiler against the GOP. And so the idea was that it would run. So if you had a Republican in New York that was governing by what they considered to be conservative values, then the conservative party would not run a candidate and endorse a Republican. If you had a moderate Republican, moderate even by Buckley standards, um, then they would run a candidate. Then, then, then they would run a candidate to try to split the vote and as a punishing aspect, right? And I think this could be a very interesting mechanism. Like if, if the LP wanted to be, I think, a, a, a relevant political entity, then this would be a way of basically saying, hey, look, GOP, you're like, like the, you know, Shane Hazel's race in Georgia, right? Hey, you, know, you blame me for the GOP loss, rightly or wrong, you know, right or wrong, whatever, that's, that's perception. Um, if you want to stop that, then you know, you, you're going to start taking our cases seriously. And, and and you, you perhaps have like a, a single issue or two that you'd really highlight that like this is the one thing that we're going to prioritize right now. Florida, for example, you wouldn't, the LP wouldn't run a candidate against Ron DeSantis because you would identify lockdowns as the most important issue of the time, which I think is fair in this political environment. Um, we're going to reward Ron DeSantis because he took a bold stand for liberty. We're, we're going you know, to perhaps go as far as endorsing him. That'd be a kind of a secondary thing at that point. We're not going to run someone that could take away votes. And, and I think if you, if you do that, if you pick certain races, you, you know, which governors do you punish, which governors do you reward, which state house members and things like that, it would take its position as a third party and create capital. It, 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 it create a chip because not only are you, are you, do you have a stick where you can take away some of the Republican voters, but you're also offering the carrot where you're like, you're, you're, you're actively going to help your user organization to reward mm-hmm parties that do and the thing is like this is not the way the lp has acted ever before i mean like they, they were uh, uh, frequently have lp candidates running against like amash and nasty and you can be the most liberty and because for certain libertarians the party matters more 
than the cause. Which is hilarious, actually, because yeah. that, that's supposed to be the whole thing here is that we're against right. the system. We don't like the system. So we so screw the system. And to screw the system, we're going to focus everything on the party, which is exactly how the system operates. <laughs> yes. And, and, and you're, you're going to lose that battle because like, there's nothing you can do to make the like. So, so again, it's just it's just a total waste. The problem is, is that again, like in this, it, that would require a very disciplined party. So that would require that if you have someone that wants to you know, run against the wishes of the state apparatus, then they're removed, right? Like you, you, it, it, you would have to have a very strong disciplined political organization. And I, I don't think that libertarian, because we, by our nature, right, we're, we're anti-authoritarian in that regard, right? I mean, this is kind of our charm. It, you know, James, I, you know, I was never someone I was particularly outraged by James Weeks going up on stage and stripping. Like I never, because who, who you know, like, like the, the, the fact that that generated more headlines, you know, you know, all, all news is positive, right? I, I was always very sympathetic to like I, I, Mac, McAfee. I, I'm convinced if McAfee was the candidate in 2016 over um, Gary Johnson, that Donald Trump probably would have never won in 2016 because I think it would have attracted enough of that wild man sort of vote. Like I, I, I think Spike Cohen is, is one of the best representatives of the LP in its current form that exists because he's someone that I think speaks to some of that, that alternative media, neither right nor left sort of demographic, which I, I, I think there's a lot of interest in trying to court. All this is great. I just, uh, so, but I don't, I don't see someone like a James Weeks or or a, or a or a John McAfee or or a Spike Cohen not acting because a chairman of a state party told them not to. No, no. I, and <laughs> and, and so that's why I, I don't think it's practical for like the, the the actual human beings that are in the LP. And again, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just that's why like I, I I'm but but again that's what I would do. That's what I would try to promote if I was interested in trying to make the LP a particularly effective political vessel given the structure of government we have right now. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest complaint I heard and made about the Libertarian Party over this past year was the lack of emphasis and lack of focus on lockdowns as the only issue that matters, really. Yes, there are other issues that matter. But in this day and age, what is uh, what has impacted more people's lives directly? What can you connect with more hu real human beings on, not just at the intellectual level where we were reading our Rothbard and our Mises, but in the real life level, like they just close your business. Like, yes, that's exactly who we need to be talking to. And Republicans were not strong on this at any level. Uh, obviously, Democrats are not, not even trying to be strong on it. And neither was the Libertarian Party. At, I mean, there were, there were individual libertarians. Uh, even you know, Spike and Joe spoke about this on the campaign trail to some extent, but it needed to be the only issue. I mean, it really needs to be the only issue uh, at this point. And if you're going to, you know, if you're not going to make that the focus and then you're going to go run a bunch of candidates and run a bunch of campaigns, especially against governors who really did take a big stand on that, which are very few and far between. But if you're going to run against them to, to try to run a purity campaign, what are you doing? I mean, what, what are you doing? At, at least do both. You know, if you're going to be talking about lockdowns all the time and you were more pro-lockdown or more anti-lockdown, I should say, than even the governor, even like Governor DeSantis, uh, okay, then at least you have credibility there. But when you didn't talk about it for a year, hardly at all, and then you want to run campaigns against people that actually did, did pr present, whether we like them or not, on other things like like you said no one nothing has affected your life more than the fact that ron DeSantis is, is governor of florida if he were not you might be like california right now i mean it, right. it's it's that it's that real of an impact and if we're yeah. going to ignore that impact and ignore where we can meet real people on the thing that has affected their life more than anything else in the world then we're just not understanding politics we're not understanding populism and how we need to use it to our advantage currently right now in the year 2021 
Um, it could change the future. But right now, I, I would have no problem saying that. I think the Republican Party is a more radical and extreme party than the LP in terms of its, its actual infrastructure. And, and I think you can see this again, like, while the GOP wasn't you know, universally great in mean, Ohio and a lot of these states, you know, Texas was very weak in the way that you know, just now um, I'll, I'll probably find compare. Uh, uh, or criticism, but you have you have things where like the, the the New York City Young Republican Club, you know, held a a, uh, a, a you know secret gala, uh, actually across state lines, um, that that grew like the, the drew the, the strong condemnation of both the New York uh, government of New York and New Jersey. Uh, Matt Matt Gates was the speaker there. Gavin Wax is the president, and like they were both condemned by name by the governor of these states. When was the last time? that a libertarian <laughs> so drew the ire of the state they said we don't want you in our borders anymore uh shane hazel might have gotten some of that he might be the only one though but being, i mean ronda sanderson stand you know, christy gnome stand um you know and and it, 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 the fact that I, I love the the aesthetics of like the hangman's noose in front of the Capitol that that the media loves running nonstop. But it's like those are Trump supporters <laughs> that, 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 that had that, that, you know, had this very militant response right to, a, to the illegitimacy of the state. And like, you're not getting that from the LP on a major on a major level. And there's, there's certain people, there's individual actors that are. But again, as, as it stands right now, the number of, of boomer Republicans that contested this election, I, I think that that, that is a more that, that is more radical saying that Joe Biden is an illegitimately elected president is more radical in today's day and age than some that, you know, than the tweeting black lives matter or making a point about trans rights or even decriminalizing heroin or, you know, like, I, you know, like I, I just roll my eyes when people just kind of create new versions of the bumper sticker of like, Oh, well, you know, I, I believe that gay married couples should be able to protect their lead, you know, their weed with AR 50. It's like, a, that was edgy like in 2008. Mm-hmm. Now, now we'll update it to use uh, trans married couples. Or yeah. Or and it's just and... like, come on. Like, is this like, it, it's ridiculous. And again, I, you know, it, it's, it's, and, and this is the point that Jeff Dice uh, has been making a lot, kind of inspired by, by some of, Pat, uh, of Steve Bannon's stuff, is that, you know, the difference between us in like 2008, where you had the Ron Paul moment, right, is that like you can see like memes being shared by like, teenage high school students that mention ANCAPs, right? Like, like it, it's not that we, you know, not necessarily that, that you have a whole legion of like Zoomer ANCAPs. So I think there's probably more ANCAPs that are Zoomers than any other demographic at that age group. That's great. But like, there's, there's, there's we have there's more people have access to out of the mainstream political thought than you did in 2008, 2008 because of how politicized YouTube has become because of social media, et cetera, et cetera, Reddit and Fortune, all those sort of things that, you know, it's not like we're necessarily introducing completely new ideas to people and that now their eyes are going to open up wide and go down this rabbit hole the same way. I mean, I never, never heard of Austrian economics until I bet. I, I think there's more people that have perhaps a, a superficial understanding of it, of like anarcho-capitalism or what yellow and black means. I, I think there's a lot more, you know, it, it's, it's worked into those sort of conversations more now. And so we can't just have kind of this shock factor. And, and so again, that it, it, it applies, it, it goes back to how do you make this stuff relevant to people that aren't always, that are already bought in. And there's a variety of ways of doing it. Um, but I, I think that trying to create our own sort of, you know, sealed separate, entity or a movement i, I don't th- talking amongst yourself i don't think that's the way of doing it. all right well there's a lot to think about here um as, as it pertains to this strategy conversation and uh, i hope people will take some more insight from those thoughts as well one more thing i want to circle back to though before we wrap up here 
I want you to take one more stab. You know, we, we got the, the basic case for Florida, but I know there are, are people like me, including me, listening right now, uh, who are in a state, perhaps that state might be a place like California, where it's just very, very obvious that, uh, you know, I, I guess for me personally, yes, the politics were always not that libertarian, of course, and I always looked at it as, well, this is the place I want to live, this is the place I have my, my life, and I love it here, except for X, Y, and Z policies that I just deal with. But now, this past year, it really did go from, there's some politics politics I don't like to. No, no, no. Now it's completely affected my lifestyle. I mean, completely. Uh, I mean, the fact that we're still essentially, we still are not allowed to go into a, a restaurant here. That's still not allowed yes. in this whole state. I mean, it's, it's absurd. I can't go to a movie, which is one of my favorite things to do is to go to a movie theater and watch a movie. Not allowed mm-hmm. to do it anywhere in the state. Um, so for people like me that are just looking mm-hmm. at the best option going forward, uh, why don't you make that pitch? I know where it's going to be. Why don't you make that pitch for Florida over a wherever else people are looking? I know people like me <laughs> might be looking at places like Arizona, Texas, New Hampshire, even South Dakota, mm-hmm. Idaho. Why does Florida really have it all for, for liberty lovers? So for one, again, no income tax, which is important. More importantly, constitutional amendment a few years ago, it's going to require a super majority of the legislature. So let's say like Democrats won an election in 2022, took over the state house. You have a lot of built in protection on the tax side, which is particularly important. We're also becoming redder, which again, on the economic side of things is very, very good. Um, I, I, I guarantee you we're going to end up having a constitutional vote probably in 2022 on the marijuana issue. Um, one of the things that Ron DeSantis did as soon as it came in was punching back against the Republican state legislature that was trying to ban um, leaf medical marijuana, which considering the, the Speaker of the House, who is actually really good on a lot of issues, he was, he's a, it was a man named Jose Oliva of the Oliva Cigar family. Like the, the optics there didn't quite work out. So, so we're becoming better on, on those issues as well, which has always kind of been a handicap in the state of Florida. Uh, our, again, our property taxes are still relatively low. We, we're very income uh, uh, sales tax related state, which again, all taxation is theft, but I think the sales tax is the best way because it, it actually, it, it, it's the way of broadening the tax base in a way that pushes, put as least amount of burden on the population um, of residents as, as you can. And one of the, the great things about, if, if you need any sort of salesmanship on Bay County in particular, just Google Panama City Beach beaches, because we, ha- we are the world's most beautiful beaches. I will fight anybody that says otherwise. I, I'm very much a, a nativist on this, this regard. And uh, again, it's beautiful sand. And the best thing about it is that if you compare the property prices in Bay County, that's gone up significantly last year. Like my house, I was looking at refinancing. It's a house I bought a little over a year ago. It's crazy. But still, our property, our, our property values relative to a lot of other areas, particularly considering the beauty of our area, compares very favorably to anyone. And on top of that, on the west side, we're about to put in a active retirement center, Jimmy Buffett-themed, appropriately enough. Obviously. Um, which will probably bring in more conservative anti-tax boomers um, because that tends to be a political shift in Florida, which is why we're becoming redder. And we have a massive military uh, a base going uh, improvements being made on the east end of the county, which again, not necessarily the, the, the sexiest pitch libertarians, but what it means is that there's going to be more people coming in. And so again, the, the value of this area, I think in terms of property values is only going to go up. So that's why Bay County in particular, I think is one of the, the best places in the state on top of the other social network and, and the other ad- advantages I have down here. And if anybody wants to take me up on it, I will buy anybody, any of your listeners, if they come to Panama City for a vacation, uh, I, I will buy them a, a, I'll buy them dinner if they reach out to me on, on Twitter. Because I, I think the more people that just experience it once on vacation, they will get hooked. And a lot of the people that move here and relocate here came here on spring break 
um, which they even remembered the beauty after all of the all of the uh, how wasted they got on, on the beaches back in the 90s. So uh, if, if you if you visit the Redneck Riviera, you'll, you'll never forget it. All right. You heard it here first. That is an offer. It is in audio form. Uh, I've got the evidence yes. if you need to, if anyone needs to back it up. Yes. Though Bishop will buy you dinner if you reach out and uh, and uh, yeah, and ask him. So yes. uh, and this, you don't just mean like running through Carl's Jr., right? We're talking like right, yeah, dinner. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I will. Yeah, this, <laughs> some, some restrictions may apply, right. but yeah, don't just go ordering the lobster Thermidor right away. But right. Yeah. We're not going out the 30A, which gets a little pricey out there. But, but no, I, 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 I want as many people as possible to come in here. I'm trying to do an event down here before too long. Because again, it's it's a, such a I just I love it. Like I, I, it's so great to be able to 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 have a job that I love working here, and then being able to to mix my chocolate with my peanut butter with my Mesa <laughs> stuff and Panama City stuff. And it's yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm you know, I, I, this has been a very dire. You know, 2020 was awful for a lot of people. It's been very dark times for a lot of people. But I'm. You know, I'm, I'm as happier as I've ever been. So I, I want other people to feel the way I feel. All right. Well, if anyone wants to reach out to you though for that free dinner, let them know how they can do yes. so, and let them know how they can find everything else that you're involved with out there. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Tho Bishop, P-H-O-B-I-S-H-O-P. It is a very weird name. Um, and then you can also find me at the Mises Institute's website. And uh, again, uh, usually weekly I do a podcast with Ryan McMakin, uh, Radio Rothbard. So any of those, uh, find me on any of those platforms. All right, Tho Bishop, keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Thank you. All right, gang. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Tho Bishop for hopping on, having a chat with me about the free state of Florida. And uh, you can't really get a better than an offer than that, my friends. Show up, reach out to Tho, get a free dinner. I mean, it's going to be hard to find a better welcome offer than that if you're interested in checking out the state of Florida. Florida. And either way, I hope you are certainly interested in checking out the rest of the slate of podcasts we have here on Lions of Liberty this week. Of course, on Wednesday, Brian McWilliams will be showing up to smack you right across the face with his very unique, very wild, very raucous, very mispronounced brand of Liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odermatt will wrap things up on Thursdays with his adventure into the world of freedom over on Finding Freedom. I made up that tagline. That's not the official tagline of the show, but here we are. We got to roll with things, okay? So check out Finding Freedom on Thursdays. Check out all of the shows here on Lions of Liberty by smashing the hell out of that subscribe button. And if you just can't get enough, if it's just not enough for you getting three shows a week, guess what? There is more behind the paywall over on Patreon at patreon.com slash Liberty, where you get access to all of our bonus audio and video content, including live streams, live streams of our bonus shows like Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, uh, live streams of our many of our roundtable shows that we do uh, that you'll get to see before the rest of the general public. Uh, there's so much content there. You can get it all for as little as five measly smackers per month. Again, head over to patreon.com slash Liberty, and if you you're just through with all the lions and lions related content don't forget to check out the second print comics podcast hosted by myself and remzo w martinez and if you'd like to see some of my thoughts in audio form you can get inside mark claire's mind by subscribing to my Substack at markclaire.substack.com that's all i've got this week until next time my friends live free